Hello and welcome to Behind the Screams. As always, my name is Ian and in today's show I am joined by the rest of the Cackle crew. First up we have Lucy, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, how are you doing? I'm doing good, that went smoother than last time. I still didn't get that quite perfectly, but that went smoother than last time. So I'm very happy with myself. You know what? I just wish Zoom wouldn't be like, I'm recording now. It's like a fucking no, I've just pushed the button. And that's brand new because it hasn't done that in the months that we've been using it. Yeah, that's literally the first time. they You know what they've done? They've been like, they've taken a break. Let's change everything. That's what they've been like. Um, But we're also joined by Lindsay. How's it going? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am all ready for this one. I'm, I, I'm, you know what? I'm kind of weirdly excited for this one. This was one of those, and no offense, Lucy, <laughs> but this was one of the, like, I'm sure you guys have had this as well sometimes where we're about to be reviewing a movie, right? And it's coming up and you see it coming up like weeks in advance and you're like, oh, like, I, I don't know if I want to even watch this movie. Like, I'm sure you have both had that too about my, some of my ones too, right? All yours. Oh, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? You know, there's sometimes just there's certain movies, you know, um, I very much felt that with, I didn't I didn't really feel it with Birdemic because it was our, our new one. So I was kind of excited for that as well. Um, but, you know, but yeah, anyways, so you know what I'm saying? There's a couple of my own that I've picked that I'm like, oh, I wish I never picked that. But we'll end up having really good discussions. But you know what? I, I, I finally watched it because I hadn't seen this movie before. And... I'm excited to talk about it. Not necessarily because I think it's the best thing in the world, but I'm just excited to talk about it. So uh, for those who don't know, um, for those who haven't seen the, the podcast title or the photos or the blurb at the side of our screen there, this is episode number 140. And in today's show, we're talking about the 2009 vampire movie Daybreakers. Now, this one was Lucy's choice. So Lucy, why did you decide to choose this movie? I've been well excited to um, do the podcast episode on this movie, actually. I saw that I didn't see this in the cinema, but I saw it shortly after it came out. And I've been a big fan of this movie for years. It kind of the reason I chose it is um, the, the plot is quite interesting, considering the times that we're in and we'll get into it. But um, I, I, the era that it came out in as well. Like I loved, it was 2009, so this was shortly after Twilight. I'm going to talk a bit about the aesthetic of this in comparison to Twilight. We also had True Blood, we had um, Vampire Diaries, and I love all the vampire content. And like, I was just living for it then. And I think it's like quite unique in the vampire genre, in all honesty. I think the plot is quite unique. It's something different and you both hadn't seen it before. So I'm really excited to get both your thoughts, um, fresh eyes on it. Yeah, definitely. There's some interesting points that we're definitely gonna have to get through there. Um, you know, I'm, I, I want to talk a bit about it, you know, sort of, because it feels very much like it kind of got lost in the shuffle, didn't it? Like this isn't a movie that's very much talked about these days. So, you know, I kind of want to get some of your opinions about why you guys think that is as well. But we'll do the housekeeping quickly before we, you know, get into that. So Lucy, where can people find you on the socials and tell our listeners once again a little bit about your fundraiser for the month of June? Yes, well, I'll start off with the fundraiser. Um, So being that it's June, June it's June it's Pride Month yay Um, and for the month of Pride I am fundraising all month long on Twitch 
for the charity Mermaids. Um, if you don't know the charity Mermaids, they're one of the first and one of the biggest UK charities, um, LGBTQ charities, that is specifically dedicated to providing resourcing and support for transgender and gender diverse children and their families. Really great charity. Um, so for the whole month on my Twitch, um, I mean, you guys know this by now, I play very gay games on my channel all the time anyway, but especially, no, <laughs> no really? But especially for this month, I'm gonna be playing exclusively queer um, indie games. Um, some games that I haven't played before, um, like Our Life, which I started yesterday, uh, which was amazing. And um, I'm gonna have weekly guests. Um, I'm gonna have some people from the podcast community um, this week I have the amazing uh, Sophie, um, also known as Soph Serves Face, who is a dear friend of the podcast, has been on the podcast before, and we're going to be doing a rainbow makeup stream and um, chatting all things Pride, and I hope hoping to get some makeup tips from Sophie as well, because she's just amazing at makeup, um, so I'm excited for that, and uh, yeah, lots of guests, lots of good things coming, all for a good cause. And where can people find that? Oh yes, if you want to find that and you want to support, <laughs> uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. Yeah, and you've got the links to the fundraiser in your, your Twitter, it's probably on your Twitch as well. Yeah. We've, we've, we've already posted them at least once, we'll be posting them again as well throughout the month. So please go and do that. Uh, tomorrow night you're, you're doing the makeup with Sophie, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so got everyone who's here, tune in for that. So I know Sophie's floating about in the chat as well, being very suspiciously quiet, I must say. Um, but yeah, please go and support that because it's a, a really, really wonderful cause. Uh, I think we should take bets on how many times you're going to cry this month on your gay game stream. Oh, well, it's funny you say that because on Saturday I'm revisiting the OG Life is Strange. So I'm probably going to cry like... I don't know, at least maybe 20 times just in that stream alone. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie says stop being nice about her or, or she'll cry. What we want. I, the thing is though, <laughs> I'm never nice to anyone. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> uh, but um, she's been very patient being quiet there while me and Lucy have a wee chat, but we're also joined by Lindsay. How are you doing? Hey, I'm all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Where can people find you on your socials? Uh, I'm at hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Yeah. Don't forget guys as well, though. It's not just the, uh, your guys' social media that they can be found on. You can find Lindsay on the podcast social media. Every weekend, Lindsay takes over uh, the podcast Twitter. Um, you had a very busy weekend last weekend. The busiest weekend ever. <laughs> I think so. I think it was busier than any time that I've had on the Twitter as well. So Yeah, I think so. So she's uh, just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go and torment Lindsay on the podcast Twitter. <laughs> and then every Sunday on the Instagram, Lucy takes over and you give shout outs to some good horror content, whether that's tv show or a movie or a game or anything really a music album or anything books, like that books uh you did the 30 days a night graphic novel uh, last weekend right mm -hmm. um, yeah. and i know you've done a load of other stuff and you also give shout outs to member of the horror content creating community as well um so you've already shouted people out like people like sophie like the girl that's scary podcast who's good friends of the show like the horror projects um podcast as well who Lindsay's made an appearance on their show so yeah go check that out Sundays as well so that's uh on Twitter at Screams Behind we're also on Facebook Instagram and YouTube is it Behind the Screams podcast okay 
that is it for the housekeeping, I think, right? So shall we get on with this week's movie topic or this week? I keep saying this week, even though we do two a week. This episode's movie topic. I'll take that as a yes. Okay, we're talking <laughs> about Daybreakers. sustain our population till the end of the month. We're talking about the extinction of the human race. The blood substitute is not found immediately. <laughs> this will happen to all of us. This substitute would replace our need for a human supply. There will always be those who are willing to pay extra for the real thing. We need your help. We want to rebuild the human race. A blood substitute is not a cure. I was like you once. And not no more. Who are you? We're the folks with the crossbows. That last breath of humanity will vanish as soon as the blood does. I found a cure. I can change you back. What's the cure? They could kill you. I'm already dead. It doesn't hurt me. Can anyone hear me? I feel how it feels. They found us. They're everywhere. You want to know? Know that it doesn't <laughs> hurt me. This movie was released in 2009, was written and directed by the Spearig brothers and stars Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe and Sam Neill. The IMDb plot is as follows. In the year 2019, a plague has transformed almost every human into vampires. Faced with a dwindling blood supply, the fractured dominant race plots their survival. Meanwhile, a researcher works with a covert band of vampires on a way to save humans kind did this movie predict the covid pandemic literally though i didn't realize that till i rewatched it i was like oh fuck did you guys <laughs> see like during the opening credits there was you know how they were showing like tv screens and advertisements one of them says how one bat changed the world did you guys see that yeah, yeah. i did and i was just like Holy shit. I, and it, it's based in 2019. Yeah, which obviously is, you know, 
you, the COVID was here in 2019. Yeah. We just didn't know about it until, you know, well, uh, early 2020. Um, so, yeah, like, because like I said, I'd never seen this before, so I didn't know that. So when I when I, when I it all sort of flashed up on the screen, I was a bit like, holy shit, like, this is, this is it. How do you guys feel? Because I want to get a few things out of the way. Um, how do you guys feel about the fact that it's set in 2019? Because, like, you know when, like, certain movies that are set in the future, but they only ever set, like, you know, 20 years into the future. So, like, you're going to catch that up eventually. And that kind of always bugs me a little bit. Like, I, I know it's really petty. It's a really stupid thing. But I kind of just wish they would, you know what, just set it, like, 300 years in the future. No one's going to be watching this film in 300 years. In 300 years, film probably isn't even going to exist. Like, the world will have caved in upon itself or something will have happened. I don't know. How do you feel about the fact that it's set in 2019? Being that it's a 20, 2009 movie. I mean, it doesn't bother me too much. Uh, kind of looking at it again, um, you know, it's been kind of interesting looking at it now in 2021, if they'd went super futuristic and really unrealistic about how much things have changed in 10 years. Don't get me wrong, some things are like, oh, we definitely don't have that, like the, the car technology and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's not like, so over the top you know some tv shows and films it's like 10 years later and everything's completely changed and it's like no like slow your horses a wee bit um but i i don't mind it in all honesty i know it's a super petty thing i'm not obviously expecting everyone to be like oh yeah you're so right because it's i'm probably i'm not but uh, Lindsay, does it bug you it's like it bugs me i i'm kind of in your boat yeah yes! i kind of <laughs> wish they'd set it a bit further in the in the future um because I don't know, I don't feel like it setting it 10 years later really added anything to it because like I know you guys got like a COVID thing from it, but I kind of got in the real world side of things, like how we're running out of resources and like the farming industry and about how we don't have enough space to actually have the animals to feed all the humans in the world. And that's kind of like what the problem is here and I don't know if they were really talking about it then and I don't think the problem maybe they were predicting the problem would be that bad in 2019 but it's not because nobody's paying attention and trying to do anything about it so maybe setting it a bit further I think maybe would have hit that home a bit better. I think so I think one of the things that I picked up on this movie because you're right this movie does try and have a lot of social commentary about a whole variety of topics really yeah. and that's that's one of them you know um and I'm, I'm sure we'll pick up in certain different aspects as we go on through the film and it's one of the maybe slight criticisms i have in the film because i don't think it's particularly successful in doing them all maybe in quite saying what it wants to say um but i'm sure we'll get into that in uh, more detail but i i, I think you're, you're you're right as well like obviously you're saying that we picked up the covid vibe but you're absolutely right it does give off all of those mm -hmm. other things as well um one of the th questions that I want to ask you, and there's not really anything to do with this movie, it's kind of like what I was putting out on Twitter today. Where does this rank for you guys then in terms of vampire movies? Because for me, obviously this being the first time I've seen it, it's it's not right up there at the top for me, but what the, I think this is a very unique vampire film. So where does this sort of rank for you guys? I mean, for me, it's it's higher than the middle. 
I mean, I I was thinking about this, like, do I prefer this over 30 days a night? Because I'm quite a fan of 30 days of night and no, but there, I mean, it's no interview with a vampire or bit or, you know, any of the classic vampire movies out there, but you're right. It's, it's a very unique perspective and a take on the vampire genre. So I think that gives it some pretty good brownie points. I'd say it's above average for me. Okay. Okay. I mean, being above average is, is good. There's a lot of movies out there that are very below average. <laughs> um, so being above average is perfectly fine. Uh, Lindsay, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm kind of the same as Lucy. Um, yeah, definitely above average. It's very unique. And when I was watching it, I just kind of thought it's such a shame it got lost in the vampire fad because it's not it's not really a well-known film at all. Um, I think after watching it, I think it's quite underrated. So, yeah. I think it's above average. Okay. Because obviously, like, we, we had not seen it, and this is not a no. film that we had, um, you know, when we did our underrated movies episode, you know, a wee while back. Is this something that you think you might have put in there? A few films that I've watched since that episode I definitely would have got put in the top five rather than the ones that I had. Like, I still like all the ones that I put in, but, yeah, I think I'd definitely swap out a few of those for some other films now. <laughs> Okay, that's fair enough. So, Lucy, I know you, you're kind of itching to start talking about, um, you know, other stuff that was coming out around the time and that this was off the sort of back of. We During this time, we weren't going through a bit of a renaissance of the, the vampire sort of genre, weren't we? Um, and, you know, over the past sort of 10 years, that's that sort of drifted away from vampires. And we're obviously right now slap bang, still slap bang in the middle of a huge zombie renaissance, aren't we really? Um, you know, Army of the Dead was released, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Um, and you think you've had The Walking Dead and how many how many zombie films have we had and zombie TV shows in particular with zombies? You know, you've not just had The Walking Dead, you've also had you know, Zed Nation and iZombie and Fear the Walking Dead. And there are a dime a dozen now at this point. Um, why do you think then, Lucy, based on what was going on around it, and then I'll, I'll give you the floor so you can talk about, you know, your Twilights and things like that. Um, but why do you think that this one got lost? Because this one got lost. We're not, you know, this that's not necessarily a criticism of the movie, but it did. This one just got lost. I think at the time when people think of vampire movies, especially in like the the 2008 to kind of like even 2007 to like maybe 2000 and, I don't know 15 let's say the immediate assumption is things like Vampire Diaries and Twilight and because they were such big blockbusters everything else kind of went by the, the wayside and you know the renaissance of vampires it was very romanticized um, it was a certain type of vampire, you know, the romantic protagonist lead, the very smouldering guy with the flippy hair and like the the more softer side of vampires, the more dystopian side, it, it wasn't really as popular. So I feel like it's a shame because I do think it's a really underrated movie as well. I think the only thing that kind of comes close to this is like True, True Blood at the time was flourishing as well, especially like the first three seasons. Um, but it, it, I think it just got lost in in the big franchises in all honesty that's what that's my thoughts on it I think as well like in that era where there was like Twilight and stuff as well it was all like about sex like you say like romantic like sexy and it was very much like marketed towards women as Mm -hmm. well and I don't think obviously like women will enjoy Daybreak Fairs but I don't think that meets the same criteria as the other things so it didn't 
it didn't like fit in with the fad so it I don't think it got the same push even in literature as well mm. um you know we had so many books that came out as well like after twilight that are vampire fiction YA novels that were yep. very romantic books and it was all marketed towards teens young yeah. young girls like under 18s um so anything else at that market like you say just kind of got lost yeah yeah no i think i think they're all very 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 valid points you know i think that's because i've hit the nail on the head to be honest with you um you know we've we've seen it um we've seen it the past sort of seven or eight years with zombie movies as well you know like arm of the dead came out and i know that one's gotten like it's gotten pretty decent reviews all around but i've got a funny feeling that that's going to be a little bit like this and in five years time we're probably not going to be talking about it you know um i don't know that for certain that's just the sort of general sort of feeling that i've been kind of getting from it um so lucy fan of fan of twilight oh yeah i was gonna say it's a guilty pleasure it's not a guilty pleasure <laughs> and i kind of love like it's getting a bit of a comeback they're like the early 2000s emo's coming back which i'm all for as an elder emo as so is lindsay <laughs> um it, it people are like re-watching it and like buffy is getting a renaissance as well people are all about buffy again and um Did people stop being about buffy they didn't stop but there's a lot more there's a lot of people now that I know that haven't didn't watch it before I've watched it now you know like, what helps people, though streaming yeah. services help yeah. Buffy is mm-hmm. on all the streaming services it's That's on true. Amazon Prime it's on Disney Plus so is Angel they're on there as well like this is just something that didn't happen te- even just 10-15 years ago when you didn't have that same availability on streaming services and I know it's really simple to be able to go to streaming services flick through everything and go there's fuck all on this Netflix there's absolutely nothing and then you're like there's like 600 films on this like there's something you know and so like streaming services definitely I think plays a big part of that as well um Lindsay are you a fan of Twilight never watched a single one a point blank refused <laughs> still doing oh, no, no don't say that day. don't say that because she's gonna pick it for the podcast i actually will though i was thinking no! about this earlier i was like can i i'm, I'm sick i can't come in that day <laughs> <laughs> oh that's gonna be my next choice that's top I've, on my list i've got some covid tests sitting in the other room I think <laughs> i'll be weak that day i'll be too weak uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I have seen some Twilight movies. The only bit I liked of them because I was a big Muse fan in the days. The only bit I liked them is the fact that they used some Muse songs um, floated in about there. Apart from that, they're absolutely some of the biggest piles of shit I've ever seen in my life. But anyways, should, we shall move You're on. Wrong. And ta- we shall move- You're wrong. <laughs> we should- Opinions can't be wrong. Uh, we shall move on and we shall talk about the actual movie that we're here to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you were obviously mentioning, Lindsay, about, you know, they were making a big statement on, you know, the sort of sustainability of like our food sources. And because that's that's the plot of the movie, isn't it? The plot of this we movie. We could really take it about any resource. Like there's statistics that come out every year saying like we're going through what should sustain us in like water and minerals and food and everything like quicker and quicker every year like I think the last statistic was like we normally use it by September you know that's nine months into the year so we're using like 125% of our resources every year 
it's not sustainable and uh, like that was one thing i picked up on very quickly in this film well yeah it's the entire plot of the film isn't it yeah. the entire the whole plot of this film is that there's what did they say five percent of the human population left yeah. so these vampires have either turned or killed excuse me 95 percent of the human population there's hardly any humans left and of course therefore they're running out of blood to eat and you know they're desperately trying to find like a blood substitute so i'm going to assume they're maybe supposed to be like the vegan vampires like trying to draw some i was trying to draw some sort of parallels between yeah, sort of like, real life that's what i kind of got from it as well because obviously like scientists are always looking at trying to produce like meat replicas and mm -hmm. like of course we have like beyond meat and impossible burgers that all taste just like me and some of them even bleed as well um so yeah that's what i got from that oh, that kind of freaks me out a little bit like <laughs> don't get me wrong like i like i mean i still eat i'm still a meat eater but we do eat like a lot of corn we eat a lot of meat-free products now and a lot of substitutes you know we, we we put a lot of like milk substitutes in for um for you know for for that and things like that um procedures princess is right in the chat they say um they harvested humans in labs as well so it wasn't just killed or turned they also just sort of captured some of them and i think they were i i i, I don't think they really explained that part of the movie very well because they, they showed you this this shot of all these humans who were in this big sort of facility but didn't actually really tell you what they were doing with them i yeah, just assumed like... that they were just being a continual source of blood there's this whole thing about like people turning other people it's like surely someone would have had the sense at some point to know that they're turning to turning too many into mm -hmm. vampires and that it's not going to be sustainable but then on the other side of it um like i was thinking about it as well like in the west we're all like trying to be like no trash and like a lot of people are going vegan for the environment and stuff but developing countries as they're getting wealthier like they're wanting to do a lot of the things that other countries have done when they were developed like eat meat because they have the money to do so now they have a lot more output of um, co2 emissions and they're leading to climate change but they're just like getting wealthier and wanting to do stuff that everyone else has done um so it's that way like in the west it's like oh don't don't eat meat like don't do this don't do that because it's really bad for the planet and then they're like yeah but you've just been doing it for the last 200 years why can't i do it um you know what i mean yeah no no you're absolutely right procedures princess comes back in and says they drained them of all their blood and sold the blood to the vampires I don't think the movie particularly explained that very well, though. And one of the issues that I do have about this movie that we'll talk about in more detail before we sort of leave these points that we're talking about is I don't, I think there's too much exposition going on in this movie because I feel like this movie is just giving you exposition from the very beginning all the way up to the very end. Um, but sticking with uh, that, the points that we're talking about. So obviously, you know, here in the movie, it's a very literal, you know, they're running out of food. But as you're saying, Lindsay, that could literally be substituted in for any resource that we're using, whether that's food or water or, you know, gases or, you know, energy, anything yeah, of course, like that. Or all your fossil fuels, like, they're all yeah. disappearing as well. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry, Lucy. No, I was just going to say, I think another commentary that it tries to make um, that, again, like it doesn't 
hone in enough on because it is trying to say a lot of things is classism as well because obviously there is such a lack of resources and there is the the blood substitute but they all recognize that there is the one percent that have the money to pay for human blood um i think it could it could have explored that a lot more or that they had to pick maybe one or the other where if it was about sustainability or if it was about classism because it does touch on it but i feel like they could have looked at that a little bit more like the wealthy vampires and um, you know they're the ones that are getting access to these resources and everybody else is just yeah. um left to their own devices really yeah this so is that what... side of it kind of reminded me of like the COVID, like the covid because like so many people right at the start of the pandemic were like coronavirus is a great equalizer no it's not it's all your low-paid workers who are going to catch it more than people who are either middle class and can work from home or are rich enough that they don't have to work. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'm sure and you guys... That they're just like, like sacrificed at one point. They just like fire them into the sun. It just kind of reminded me of that um, infamous whiteboard, who do we not save? And it's just like oh yes yeah. yes um i'm sure you guys remember though very early days here in the uk anyway in the pandemic the the catchphrase of we are all in this together you know and uh yeah we absolutely were not all in this together it was you know people who because the people people were still being it was literally a thing of right who are the people who we can afford to still be putting on the front line and it was people who work in shops it was our it was our low-paid nurses it was our care staff our unpaid care staff um the care sector just as in general you know and these were all people that they were just deemed oh well we, we just won't save them they can just go out and service the rest of the rest of us while we absolutely go and destroy their shops and you know, steal all their toilet roll and all their pasta. I still don't understand why people were hoarding pasta, to be honest with you. Toilet roll, I can at least understand. I still think everyone who did it was absolutely stupid. But I could at least sort of kind of get the logic behind sort of getting extra toilet roll in. Um, but pasta? I know. And the UK government thinks, give them a wee clap every Thursday. That'll be fine. You know, don't actually, you know, get, give people a living wage and, you know, actually give them real praise for being in the front lines for the past year and actually, you know. I feel like we're going to, we're about to turn very conspiracy theorist here, right? Um, <laughs> I get my tinfoil hat on, right? Can you remember when Boris Johnson got COVID, mm-hmm. right? And I was convinced at the time that it was he didn't have COVID and that he just said he had COVID to try and sort of gain sympathy from the people because Boris Johnson is absolutely heinous human being. Personally, I think should be in prison Mm. for some of the things that he has said and done. And uh, I think that gained him a lot of sympathy with the right wing because there's a whole section of right wing people that Boris Johnson could literally do. And it was the same with Trump, you know, just to a slightly more extreme extent, I think, where they can do whatever they want and, you know, they will never, ever lose that person's support. You know, they could literally go into the street, grab that child's baby and shit on that baby's face. And they would still get that person's vote, you know? Like, that's how, like, diehard certain people are. So I was, like, convinced that he didn't have COVID. It was all just a, it was all just a sort of a smoke and mirrors tactic to try and garner him a little bit of sympathy. And then when um, this was all coming out a couple of weeks ago, um, it came out that he had... 
considered being injected with COVID live on TV to prove to the nation that it didn't exist or wasn't a threat. And I'm sorry, but that just stoked my suspicion even more. So now I'm just even more convinced that he didn't have COVID at all. It's like bloody an episode of Black Mirror, isn't it? Well, it's, funny, it's funny you say that, though, because I think this movie is a little bit, gives me Black Mirror vibes. Because like you were saying, it is that dystopian future, but a lot of the stuff in Black Mirror isn't that, like, it's not that different to what our life is now. There's just a couple of little things here and a couple of little things there, you know? And I did get very Black Mirror vibes off of this movie. I don't know if you guys felt that as well. Yeah, I got that. I got a little bit of I Am Legend kind of vibes as Mm -hmm. well. Um, Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Okay, so we've obviously talked about, you know, um, the sustainability of our resources. We've talked about classism, and it's funny that classism comes up again, because that was something that we talked about on Tuesday, you know, when we were talking about Candyman. Um, But like you were saying, I think that they tried to have big commentary on both. And I do think they still were trying to have little commentaries in each. And I think they ended up missing the mark on both, to be honest with you. I think like you were saying, Lucy, pick one, focus on that and do that one really well. And instead, I think they've, I think they've just tried, I think they've tried to do too much. Yeah. Okay. Shall we maybe get into some actual scenes of this movie? or some aspects of the actual movie. Um, One of the things how I I want to talk about is the effects in this movie, because there's quite a lot of effects in this film. And I just want to begin just to get your general thoughts on how you feel the effect was when, you know, we had vampires exploding and being dragged out into the sun and burning to death and all of those things. How did you feel like that was in general done? Yes, special effects are absolutely horrendous. <laughs> they were fucking awful. Um, it was probably like the worst part of the film for me was the special effects. They're just like, especially like towards the end when Samuel gets his head taken off, it looked like a, one of those spitting image puppets. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it is. Lucy, what did you think? I'll I'll give them their G's. I don't know if it's in your trivia, but the the Spirig brothers, the ones that made it, they actually did most of the special effects themselves to cut on the costs, and they aren't. It shows. <laughs> yeah, they aren't experts at all. I I get it. Some some of them I don't think are bad. Some of them I was like, um, this could be done better. I think what I do actually like though is when the vampires go feral, and like one of the first scenes that we have when one of them's um, in Edward's house and there's the the blood smashed on the wall. I think like the wings and like how, when they become more bat-like, I think they do the costuming on that pretty well. Mm-hmm. It's just more yeah. of the the physical effects or like the the general graphical kind of effects. They maybe like miss the mark <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, it, it, I find it quite interesting, you know, that, that they were trying to cut costs on those effects when and we'll talk about it later, but when we get to the budget of this movie, this is not a low-budget film. No. So it didn't... Um, 
I didn't really see why they needed to cut costs. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Ethan Hawke's paycheck was too big or something. Or Willem Dafoe's as well. Or Willem Dafoe's as well. Um, I don't know what Sam Neill would charge, but Sam Neill always seems like a very reasonable man to me. Um, (laughs) You know, he's he's in Jurassic Park. Like, he can do no wrong. (laughs) I don't know. I was, this is so stupid, but he's in Peaky Blinders and he plays a right bastard in it. (laughs) I've never seen an episode of Peaky Blinders. I didn't know Sam Neill was, I didn't know Sam Neill was in Peaky Blinders. Is and he's such a bastard in it, and I've like never forgot it. Every time I see him somewhere, like, I'm <laughs> <it>. so <laughs> Neil is one of my favorite. He's also in, um, obviously Jurassic Park is one of my favorite films of all time. I think that's just a complete masterpiece from top to bottom. He's also in Event Horizon, and he is an absolute bastard in that as well. Uh, but I think Event Horizon is a massively underrated movie he's also in in the mouth of madness as well which is a really really good film like he does really really good job in there so i think i think he knocks it out the park all the time i don't think he knocked it out the park in this film it's very pantomime villain it's for pantomime villain but i also i also think it's very just low-key and this is one of the issues that i have with this film i never really feel like this film kicks it into full gear you know, I know we've got like a car chase scene and I know we've got like big fights happening at the end, but it just doesn't, it feels like it's just sort of ticking along and it's just a little bit like going along at a very slow pace. I guess it comes back to that thing of like picking one thing to the commentary because if you could have made him this like bigger villain and you could have made him, you know, this like billionaire-esque like someone who just like takes advantage of the little people just to make money because you do get a little bit of those vibes that they could have taken it even further um but of course they don't because they have these two big commentaries that they want to have at the same time you know what i would have kind of liked right and i don't know if i am just going off into a tangent here and this is just pure pie in the sky right but he works at a very expect like a place that does a lot of experiments does a lot of like you know work with genomics and all those sorts of things i would have liked for him to have taken something they have created him something and he literally turned into this big fucking bat monster at the end that they have to defeat very video game-esque but Mm -hmm. i feel like i feel like this film kind of needed something like that Mm. yeah because i mean we can see he's evil when we get the the scenes with his daughter is fucking bastard but like he he's besides that like it does I get what you mean like he doesn't feel really evil and even the fight scenes are a little bit low-key like look at I don't know even I'm just thinking I know it's different 28 28 days later zombies and all that but we see London as this kind of giant city and obviously they're in this metropolis but the way things are shot like even the scenes like um at the the kiosk when people are um, going ravenous it's like small groups and it feels kind of like closed in if you know what I mean like it's supposed to be a global plague could have maybe seen other parts of the world as well i don't know it just i don't know felt a bit closed in i get what you mean it just it just kind of it could have been bigger no i would have liked that as well even if it was just for you know a few seconds here and a few seconds there you know this is paris this is moscow this is beijing you know that sort of thing just to give you that sense that it is this worldwide thing because we do only get this movie in this very sort of small location that they are actually in as well um so yeah no i definitely get that too um so that's sam neill um 
before we go on to some of the other sort of actors and characters in this film, one thing that I'm going to go, because I feel like I've kind of been a bit mean about this film since we started. One thing I do like about this film is all the little things that they put in, like um, him taking blood in his coffee, you know, um, there's like the, the the little girl, like when he looks out and you see all the little school girls and one of them smoking a cigarette, which was a very badly CGI'd cigarette as well. Um, but then like the like the other girl has like a coffee cup of, of full of blood. And I love those little details to see like, this is how life would be slightly different if it was a vampire. Like, and I feel like the attention to detail there was really, really good. And I felt like that ran throughout the film really well. And that was definitely one of the like, big positives for me because I do like little details in films. Did you guys pick up on this? Yeah, I think the aesthetic of this overall is really good. Um, and I know some people love or hate this, like the blue kind of tint hue to it. That's the nod I was going to make to Twilight. Like the first movie was directed by Catherine Hardwick, who is actually like a really good director <laughs> if you take Twilight out. and She's she really this... good, I promise. <laughs> but she has this really distinct way of how she films movies. They're very dark and they have like really cool colour palette to them. And this has the same kind of colour palette. And I really like that. It's quite visually striking. Um, and those little attentions to detail aesthetically wise, I think they did pretty good. I can't help but notice that Twilight wasn't in any of our top five horror movies to be directed by women episodes. <laughs> Not I doing... should have added it now, regrets. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Lindsay, what did you think of like the aesthetic and the sort of little details in this? Yeah, like um, I quite liked all the the ways that they added in blood and stuff as well, like the way that they like drink it out of wine glasses and stuff like that, like like trying to be like so refined and like away from the narrative of you know just biting someone on the neck and then when they do use that method of feeding um like it makes an impact and it's it says more about the scene than just like drinking it out of a cup if you know what I mean yeah yeah no I think it's good I, and I do always feel like in certain vampire movies they do try and portray the vampires as being this sort of upper echelon of class, don't they? Yeah. And not uh, not specifically in this film, but we see it in things, and it's something that we're going to be talking about later this year, but in things like Underworld, you know, when you've got the vampires and the lichens, and, you know, and even in aspects of, certain aspects of things like Blade as well, they do try and sort of portray this sort of ancient civilization, and they're very, very well educated and all that. So I do feel like that's a very common theme that sort of runs runs throughout. Another common theme that I'll pick up on, I don't know if you guys picked up on this as well, when uh, Edward, near the end, has like, which is before he has the big final confrontation with uh, Sam Neill's character, Charles, um, Charles says, you know, there's one thing that you can't replicate or something in, in the human blood, and that's fear. And I don't know, like, that gave me very it, it vibes, because, of course, Pennywise and it, you know, he scares the children because he says the fear makes their meat taste better. And I just like, and I know it's in a few other movies as well where monsters try and scare people, you know, to sort of like prepare them almost. And I just want, I just, I like that there's like that, that common theme. It's almost like an unwritten rule, isn't it? Amongst, you know, sort of movie makers that, you know, fear makes humans taste better. 
taste better. <laughs> um, okay, I just wanted to briefly touch on that. I didn't have any further points to bring up to that. I just like, I just like all these little factoids. Let's talk about let's talk about our main character next. So we've got Ethan Ethan Hawke who's playing Edwards. Are you guys fans of Ethan Hawke in general? Because I've only really seen a couple of other things that he's in. One of which we've done on the show is Sinister. And I didn't really notice any difference in the performances and they're very different roles. Yeah, I can't say I'm like a fan or like not a fan of him. Um, But like at the start of this film, like his character was really annoying me. And <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck is this? At least he's got us watching now. And <laughs> and a way he's just like walking around and like sniveling about and like, I like I don't know, it just like wind me up a bit. Um and like the way his character as well, like I know he has this thing about not drinking human blood, which is like totally fair enough. Um, but I feel like he wastes so much of it as well. He like starts pouring that bottle of human blood down the sink. And it's just like, you do know there's a shortage. You do know there's people starving and you're pouring it down the sink. Like if you don't want it, give it to somebody else because that's just a total waste and a waste yeah. of that person's life as well that you're like taking a stand by not drinking. Yeah, it's that whole thing. Like, I'm sure every parent in the world has said this to one of their children when they don't finish their food or whatever. And they're like, they're starving children in Africa sort of thing, isn't there? Like, it's that whole sort of thing, isn't it? Regardless of how ethical this is or isn't or whatever, vampires are now the, the dominant race and their they're, they're source of food is humans. So he is, and this, this blood has already been harvested for, for, you know, lack of a better word. So why not put that to good use? Because one thing I think this film does say, it's trying to say this, vampires aren't bad. Mm. You know, they're they're just doing what they need to do to live. It's It's like the one with the coffee as well. It's just like, you could have just said no thanks, but instead that coffee's going to sit there, it's going to go cold, and it's going to get poured down the sink. And nobody nobody likes a cold coffee. I'll drink a cold coffee. Oh, yeah. yeah put, some, put some ice in it and have an iced coffee. Listen, Lucy, you'll be putting fucking mayo in it next. Oh, get to fuck, would you? <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're never letting this go. I'm going to bring it up in every available opportunity because it's that heinous. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I, I, I agree with you. I just... I just... Uh, I just got... He seemed... He seemed like he was looking down his nose at anyone who took blood, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. Like, like it was a case of, oh, well, I don't drink blood. Actually, I don't drink blood. And this whole interaction between him and Frankie, like Frankie obviously seems to work for like the, the military and he finds the humans to be harvested, but then he works for a company, like Ed, I mean, works for a company who harvests humans and it's just like, well, you're no better then, are you? And that's what Frankie tries to say to him, but he just doesn't seem to get it because he's a, like a scientist Then, oh, he can't be bad. But then it's not that, literally like a second later when a, like one of the, the starving vampires breaks into his house and he's like, Frankie, save me. 
such a little bitch that's it isn't it no, no but you're right like he's yeah he's so busy being snooty about the fact that he doesn't drink blood that he doesn't see it doesn't he mm. like he can't see for his own ego yeah he's what? definitely that kind of like I'm built different. I'm not like the other vampires. You know what he's like? He's that guy, right? He's the guy who would put his arm around you and be like, it's okay, I'm a good guy. Oh, he's, yeah. He's that yeah. guy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's definitely that guy. Uh, Lucy, like, what, do you th- what sort of vibes were you getting from, from Edward and Ethan Hawke? What did you think of his performance? I felt really bad, right? Because I saw on the Twitter that everyone was like, oh, Ethan Hawke, love Ethan Hawke. And I was kind of like, I don't know if I know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> this is your fucking film. <laughs> I know it's Michael, but I hadn't seen him in anything. I mean, I've seen Sinister, but you know how I feel about Sinister. You, yeah, um, you don't like supernatural stuff anyway. No, nay, nay, nay a fan. But um, yeah, I kind of agree with the, the both of you. He kind of gives off this, he gives off this, this, this vibe where he's trying to be better than everyone else but then he's being he's being he's looking down on everyone else kind of like and you know you get people like that even like vegans that speak really badly for the vegan community and they're like I hate everybody else and like I'm above everybody else and you know he's in Edward's in a really privileged position as well and his job and everything like that like we don't know how much the substitute costs like we were talking about classism earlier um well, I know the human blood would cost a lot, but like maybe, I don't know, people are getting anything that they can, you know, like, and then when we see the feral vampires, he's running around terrified, but he's acting like he's trying to help the people and he's doing everything for the good of the people. And like you said, he just wasted an incredibly valuable resource that could have gone to those people that desperately needed it. He wants a substitute to clear his own conscience, I think. It's yeah. like, when everyone stops doing this, I'll feel so much better. And yeah. it's all really about him, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. See, this is the issue I have with this film, because we'll talk about our, our human characters next, because obviously we've got Willem Dafoe, who plays Elvis, and we have got Claudia Carvin, who plays Audrey. Um, and these are like our... See, this is where I get like, are these two really our sort of main protagonists or is it edward i would say it's edward yes so would i no because i I just feel like it's these two that have the 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 sort of plan and the resource that ultimately provides us with the sort of main the the end plot edward was never ever going to get there until he met elvis and audrey but you could say that about a lot of things though Teamwork makes the dream work, you know. What work did Edward even do? <laughs> set himself on fire, yeah. <laughs> so did Elvis. Can I, I just by say, accident? No, no. Does anyone else agree with me? And right, I I gave up after the third season. Um, but is Elvis like a copy and paste of Daryl from The Walking Dead? Because I got that vibe straight away. When did The Walking Dead start? Before this, I did think. it start? How long before this was it? Or was it the same? It was it's around been the same 84 time. years. <laughs> Fucking feels like it, doesn't it? I'm just, uh, just I'm just gonna look it up because because uh, it's an interesting point you raise. So the Walking Dead TV series started in 2010. Oh. This came before it. So oh, this okay. actually came before it. 
it's shocking to me that Walking Dead is rated 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb as well. Like, I get out of here with that shite. Maybe well, like the f- maybe like the first like five episodes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say that's definitely more based on the, the earlier seasons than the later. The, the 185 episodes that have came after it, not so much. Um, but yeah, obviously we've got Elvis and Audrey. Do you either of you like these two characters? Because this is the thing that I have, and we've talked about this in previous films about when this is an issue, is that sometimes movies don't actually give you a character to like or they don't really come across as very likable. And I kind of feel like that's the case here. Because like, as you were, you guys were saying like, like uh, Ed, um, uh, Edward's our main character. I don't like Edward. So the next one I go to is, I don't like Frankie either, to be honest with you. Like I know we were saying there's that differences between Frankie and Edward's very much looking down his nose at him, but I still don't really like Frankie. Oh, Frankie's a wee grass. We don't like Frankie. Frankie is a wee grass. <laughs> I actually have that written in my notes. Hold on. A wee grass. <laughs> uh, let me find it. Let me find it. Because I do remember writing that in. It was just like, um, Frankie fucking grasses him up straight away. <laughs> like, sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, like, dick. But obviously we've got Elvis and we've got Audrey as well. I don't really like these two either. No, I feel like Audrey, you don't really get to know. She feels like a very one-dimensional character. And then I feel like they, the, in the writing process, they were like, oh, we're going to give like all the best lines to Elvis and the one-liners, but they just don't hit. And it's just a little bit cringe sometimes. I, I don't mind Willem Dafoe, right? But some of the lines I'm like, you are trying so hard and it just doesn't doesn't always hit the mark, you know? I feel like at one point as well they start pushing this like love story between Audrey and Ed and like at one point he like caresses her face and I was like where the fuck did that come from? They like, never completely out of nowhere. They never follow through with that either no. do they? Like we don't get like a big kiss at the end or anything like that um it's just bizarre I I really like Willem Dafoe as an actor um, you know, I think he's really good in something. Something I think some things he's fucking abysmal in. But usually with Willem Dafoe, he makes it so bad that it's that's good. Yeah. Like, and you know, he's always so fucking meme worthy as well. Like, how familiar are we with the? You know, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself, meme, <laughs> because that's one of the biggest, isn't it? You know, and I just feel like he has that that quality to him, and I just feel like he brought none of that here. I feel like this is very much a movie where. He is in that middle ground where he's not being excellent like he was in The Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. I think he was excellent in The Lighthouse. But he's also not being... like I feel like it was a really good opportunity for him here to just be wacky and crazy and kind of a little bit out there. And it wouldn't really, for me, have made much of a difference to the quality of the film because, if anything, it would have just made him stand out better. And it would have worked better because obviously all these humans that are left in this like commune look up to this guy. They're looking to him for inspiration. They're looking for him to be their leader. And so you would maybe expect a little bit of sort of wackiness and cookiness and out there-ness and, you know, and I just don't think we get it with him. 
I think they could have tried to make him a bit more like, and I can't remember the, the character's name, but you know, in Zombieland, the Woody Harrelson character. Oh, Tallahassee. Yeah, I think if they did that, that would have been cool. Like, just go balls to the wall, you know, go full whack, wacky if you're gonna do it. Do something. Yeah, because you know? it's like in both situations, like Tallahassee's like been through it, and with um. Willem Dafoe's character in this, it's like he was a vampire and then he got set on fire and became human and then he's been on the run basically for nine years. Like, that's going to do something to you, surely. And he's just like, I have a southern accent. Like, and that's it. And I'm named after a paedophile. Like, like. (laughs) I was waiting for that because I was like, Lindsay's going to have something to say about the fact that they're fucking... You know, they're idolizing Elvis here. I knew you were going to have something to say about that. Um, and, you know, I agree with Audrey as well. And I feel really bad because there's virtually no female characters in this movie. We've got mm-hmm. Audrey and we've got um, Charles's daughter, Ali. Is it Ali? Yeah. yeah. And we get nothing for either of them. And they're like our only two female characters, really, aren't they? Uh, I know we're probably like jumping ahead, but see that scene where like Ali gets turned by Frankie, mm-hmm. like that fucked me up like I was honestly like if it was not if it wasn't a vampire it felt like Samuel was like go and rape my daughter like that's what it felt like to me and it was horrible like it made me so uncomfortable to watch it was odd like I get like that like I don't know if that's a good thing though is that a good thing that it's made you feel uncomfortable because I didn't really feel you know, you know what I feel, you know what actually, you know what I really feel like? I feel like this is our scary stories episode because I went into this being like, I like this is like okay film, this is underrated, and I feel like I'm talking myself out of it the more and more that we go <laughs> on. Because I don't really feel like I felt that much for the rest of the film. So is it a good thing that, that actually made you feel uncomfortable? Maybe. No, I don't know. Okay, so if it, so are we are you in agreement with you then? Is there anyone that you you like? Well, right. I say it, <laughs> I said at the start I didn't like Ethan Hawke's character, but soon he turned human. I was like, oh hey daddy. Like <laughs> 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 I don't know why he got really hot to me. <laughs> Listen, you don't have to like the people you fuck, okay? <laughs> Get them out. <laughs> uh no he just like had a bit more about him he's like, like taking charge a bit more like he's very he was, like, a sniveling little weasel when he was a vampire he's very passive isn't he yeah. and even but even charles says that you know when they're having their final confrontation charles like oh, you were always a coward you know and it's just like yeah he was you know it's not even like it's one of those things where it wasn't you know like you could maybe see that in the beginning and then have that moment where that person snaps, you know, and then mm. suddenly they become strong. And I know it's very cliche, but I, I kind of feel like this movie just needed a couple of cliches. Mm. <laughs> you know, it need, I, 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 there's just... I'm trying, I'm trying to still like this film, right? I feel like a lot of the pieces are there. Mm. It's just missing that X factor. That one thing that really makes this movie stand out from everything else. You know, like, you know what, and the thing I, it's a completely different style of film, but like, think of Saw. Now you guys, I know, I know you aren't like massive Saw fans, right? But you you guys know how the first movie ends, right? Mm -hmm. So like, think of Saw. Saw, like for the most of that movie is actually a pretty bog standard movie. There's not a lot of gore in it. But that finale, his like 
holy fucking shit that is like that is really one of those sort of holy shit moments and i don't think we that's what's missing from this this that's missing that moment i feel like they tried a couple of times like potentially with like the the zombie exploding when they're experimenting on him um and things like that you got that uncomfortable moment where ali gets bit that could be like kind of thing but none of them ever quite reach there do they I feel like they could have done a lot more with the really feral vampires because we see them a couple times and like I'd said before I think they actually do pretty well in that in the costuming and the style like the first shot it's kind of creepy when you just see the side profile and it's like licking the wall with all the glass like they could have like done a lot more with that I think because like that kind of near the final scene with the soldiers all just going ham on each other like it's a all-you-can-eat buffet it's not really, I don't know, I didn't like, I'm not like shocked by it or anything. It didn't really make me feel anything. So like, I don't know, I would have liked to see more of the really feral vampires in this. And, and listen, I get that it's, it's 2021, you know, we've, we've all, we're all desensitized to the things that we see. So that, that, that could possibly pay a part in it as well, you know, but, and I know this obviously was a 2009 film. So this was happening 12 years ago. Would we have felt differently had we been talking about this 12 years ago? I don't think I would have, to be honest. I, that's that's where, that's where I am with that. Um, one of the other little things I liked was the fact that like they kept hooking people up to heart rate monitors, but they obviously didn't have a heartbeat. <laughs> I don't know, that just made me laugh every time. There's something in this film that made me laugh. Um, we get this whole sort of scene where Ali gets picked up you know, she's traveling with some humans in this like convoy of people. Um, did we ever find out who these people are? You see them um, when they bring Ed to like the safe house. It's the guy at the front who's like, out front, who's like, oh, it's normally me who's shitting themselves around vampires. Like he's the one who's driving okay. and Ali's in the passenger seat. Okay, I must have missed that. Um, I just, uh, because that's the other thing for me, right? The humans are absolutely the crux of this story. But aside from a little bit of Elvis and absolutely none of Audrey, we never get anything from any of the humans, really. They get very, very minimal screen time. You know what I mean? It just feels like you're making this like the centerpiece of your story, but you're kind of forgetting to tell us about them. And there's a lot of side stories going on. There's uh, like Ali and her dad, there's Edward, there's Audrey, there's Elvis. There's the, we haven't even really talked much about Edward and his brother as well. There's that dynamic. So there's the, there's a lot of relationships going on and there's a lot of different things. And considering it's like, what, just over an hour and a half, you don't really get a chance to fully invest in. Oh, anyone. but let me tell you, see if I had to sit through another half an hour of this. Like an hour and a half was long enough, in my opinion. Like this, this movie needs to be like two hours long for you to get all the information that you need. But God forbid this movie was two hours long. Because you been... like this movie, you start that's it. So positive. But that's it. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like once you start sort of digging underneath, I think this, well, let's talk about the differences between this movie then and other vampire movies. Because that's where I think the real sort of positives in this movie lies. And the fact that it is very different to 
all other vampire movies because let's face it the majority of vampire movies out there are vampires are either very underground they're in a minority although in blade they like walk among us but you know that's it they're not what controls the world whereas this one and it's not just vampire movies it's monster movies as well this one is telling us what happens after the monsters win monsters as well and i think that's really smart that's really clever and that's given us something that we virtually haven't really seen before so how do you guys feel about that aspect to this movie one thing i think that's quite interesting is like because Lindsay, we were saying earlier about like the romanticization of vampires and a lot of the sex appeal one other thing as well is like in a lot of vampire content in, in cinema the vampires are always incredibly old and it's very much of the renaissance era so the way they speak and the way they dress is very victorian whereas the vampires in this because of the plague they're all modern vampires you know they've all been turned in 2009 onwards so they don't they don't have that about them they're very young in that aspect uh, we don't really hear what well, we hear about the immortality but we don't know how how you know we don't hear of any really old vampires. And I thought that was an interesting perspective because like you say, they're either like really feral or underground or they're very much Renaissance, very grand kind of characters. So I thought that was quite interesting. They're, very, either, they're either, you know, in tunnels, in tin tube stations or they're Bram Stoker, they're Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula, aren't they? Um, and that's the interesting thing as well, because it is only 10 years, and I know that I sort of cited this as being one of my minor nitpicks, because it's only been 10 years, it's almost like they don't know what being a vampire means for them in the long run as well. I know you're talking about that immortality, but, you know, does that immortality, immortality sort of run out at some point? You know, does it just extend your lifetime? Do they live to like 200 and then die? You know, there's still so much unknowns for them as well, and I feel like they do convey that really well. You know, especially when they're talking about, well, we need to find a, a blood substitute that works, you know, and they're testing it out. There's still a lot of unknowns there for the vampires, too. And I feel like that was that was really well portrayed. Lindsay, what do you think? Yeah, I like that kind of discussion around immortality and like whether they enjoy it or not as well, because um, like Lucy said, like in a lot of vampire films that they don't talk about it really and sometimes they've been alive for hundreds of years sometimes it's been like several decades but Ethan Hawke's character is like it's his birthday and he's like I've turned 35 10 times like I'm over it right at the start what looks like a young girl but it's obviously probably a teenager or maybe even someone who's in their 20s like in their head kill themselves because they're like I'm never gonna grow up like I don't want to be in this little girl's body for the rest of my life no we've not really talked about that opening scene as well because I do think that that's a really good introduction that's a really sort of sharp right we're into the movie now here's this 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 vampire just killing herself mm. I think that's a really striking sort of opening scene a really striking visual as well um Queer Jay in the chat is asking, what's our favourite type, vampire type in series? Freaky or beautiful? I'm all about the freaky. You guys know that. <laughs> freaky, and be freaky or beautiful, Lucy? I, I like both, but I, I like the stereotype of the beautiful Renaissance-style <sighs> vampire. Interview with the vampire. I like that kind of classic Victorian vampire. 
Lindsay. I know, I'm just thinking about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like that's that was my like gateway into vampires. So although I, I do I'd... love like the 30 Days of Night vampires are particularly good. Like I love that style as well, but yeah, yeah, that was one of the big positives that we talked about, Lucy, wasn't mm-hmm. it? There'll be but when we did that movie, because we did have issues with that movie, but one of the big the design of the vampires and how they behaved and acted was definitely one of our sort of big pluses from that film. Oh, um, for sure. Definitely. Okay. Uh so we've kind of talked about most of my list already. Um we've been we've been going for about an hour or so, I think. So We've been sort of charging our way through it. Let's talk about the finale of this movie because obviously they have this sort of big final confrontation with Charles where he's like, oh, we've got the uh, we've got the cure. We've got the cure. But at no point in this movie did they, did they even seem particularly interested in finding a cure. They were only interested in finding a blood substitute. They weren't, in, they weren't chasing a cure. So it just seemed a bit bizarre to me that he would come back to charles would be like we've got the cure we've got the cure and he's like well i don't think he really wants the cure he just wants blood substitute it's especially when you know his backstory as well about how like he had cancer and stuff so he was gonna die and then he got turned into a vampire and now he's gonna live forever it's like why why would you want to be a human and then die of a horrible disease <laughs> would you guys want to be a vampire i don't i don't want to live forever Lucy? i'm all about that <laughs> Yeah, like I, I, I have a thing about growing old and my youth going away. So I yeah, fucking it. bring it on. Like people can bite me if they want anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so obviously, like we get that, and then we find out that if a vampire um, bites someone who used to be a vampire, but then turned into a human again, that that cures them of their vampirism. Um, which seemed a little bit complicated, a little bit convoluted to me. Mm. Like, um, but then we get this like scene where one person, I think it's Frankie actually, you know, Frankie's obviously been turned back, and then like three soldiers bite him, and then they turn, but so Frankie dies, and then they turn back into humans, and then like 10 soldiers come in and bite them, so they three die, but then we've got 10 humans, and then I guess the whole sort of idea is just that there's going to be this like chain reaction throughout the entire world, right? But my issue with that is then, well, surely they'll be left with like very little people because you'll have killed most of them to turn everyone back. That's exactly what I was thinking. And like, I know it's like just happened, but I'm like, surely there's a better way to organize this, like get all the humans to donate a pint of blood. All the vampires (laughs) just have a shot. They'll all become human again and they can start eating fruit and veg and um, not eat each other. It should have been like in uh, Warm Bodies where they live in harmony and it's a ha- it's it's happy at the end and they work together. Well, that's kind of where I thought they were going to go with the movie. That's kind of like when I was when we were sort of building up to the end because obviously I didn't know what happened in the end. Although it turns out, I think I had seen portions of this movie before because there was a few things that happened. I was like, I think I'm sure I've seen this scene before. Um, but like... Yeah, like I kind of thought that that's where we were heading, that the humans and the vampires would work together to find this this common goal, either where they can cure everyone or they can learn to live together sort of thing. Mm. Um, And obviously that's not where they decided to go with it. But we also get left with this sort of kind of 
unambiguous ending because we've got, but we don't know what happens to the full world. We know that 95% of the humans are died. So, you know, the majority of the people on the planet are vampires. But if we know humans and if COVID has taught us anything about humans, you could tell some people that two plus two equals four and they could go, no, actually in this book that I read on my mum's Facebook, it said that two plus two equals six. So that's clearly what's true. So, you know, we know what people are like. Not everyone's going to want to turn back into humans. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who's human will not want to be a vampire as well. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they've left quite a lot unanswered. And what does it mean as well globally? We're talking about that again. All of this is centered around this one city. How is it going to get to the rest of the world? The rest of the world with the vampires? I feel like because like you were saying, when when it had that soldier scene, I was like, God, there's going to be like two of them left. Like they could have ended it on like a scene of just like literally whoever's left <laughs> just and then the massacre person. of bodies. <laughs> just a huge mountain of corpses. And just <laughs> like, the one right. person being like, hello. <laughs> but that would have been like pretty impactful, you know? And then it's like re- rebuilding, restarting again. Something like that would have been like a nice end shot. Could have just been left with Adam and Eve. Why not Adam and Steve? But that's not going to be good for repopulating the earth, though. Uh, children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, but we kind of need them if we're going to repopulate the earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, Queer Jay in the chat says, uh, drinking drug blood and partying off, it sounds hilarious. Sounds like a good time to me, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> a hot dog eating contest with humans instead of hot dogs it's a hot dog (laughs) okay (laughs) so um yeah like that's kind of uh that's kind of it that i've got for this film um anything else that you guys want to talk about that i've not covered or we've not gone into too much depth yet or something you want to revisit that we've already talked about one thing i wanted to ask was how did you both feel about how Elvis got turned back and the whole thing about being burnt by the sun that turns you back into a human. Well, I guess that takes you back to the start of the film with the girl. It's like, did she just become a human? And then did her family try and eat her? And then are they all humans now too? Like, what? Uh, I I mean, I think the whole thing was that they had to be exposed to it for a very short amount of time, though. Wasn't that the whole thing? Like, it just had to be a couple of seconds. But how did they define that? You know, like, I know, obviously, we see Willem Dafoe when he has his car crash. That it happened, like, he obviously flies out the windshield in hilarious fashion uh, (laughs) and starts burning and then falls into the water. But who's to say that, you know, he wasn't, you know, a split second away that from that being too long in the sun or whatever. Like, they just seemed like they didn't, def- there was no definition of the parameters of how you change back into human. There was also no definition that it was even the sun in that instant. It could have been a number of things that actually caused him to turn back to being human. So I think, I think it was a bit, it was a bit of a stretch for me. Lindsay, what did you, do you think it would have been feasible I don't know, like, I'm trying to think if there's some, like, metaphorical thing with it, you know, like, being reborn out of fire or something like that. I don't know. Like, it was a very cool visual, 
But then when you try and break it down like logically, I don't know if it entirely makes sense. But I thought it was very cool. I liked it. Yeah, it looked badass. Yeah. I love the fall looked pretty badass in the car and <laughs> just the, the the sun burning of it. It was a cool shot. That's, I was just curious. No, that's a, I think there's like a lot of like little cool shots in that in this film. Like when they're in the car chase, you know, and they're shooting out the back of Ethan Hawke's car and like you get the one ray of sunlight and, mm. you know, they're trying to avoid that and uh, Audrey puts her hand over the hole so you can keep driving. And like, I think there's lots of really cool concepts in this movie. I just don't think they executed them particularly well. But there's a lot of cool stuff. Like, I don't know, how do you guys feel about the whole um, Ethan trying to turn him... Ethan. Uh, Edward trying to turn himself back into a human in the wine fermentation tank thing. Well, that was quite smart. Mm. In the way, the way that they figured that out. I mean, like, as well, he's a scientist, he had a theory, like... It's pretty admirable to put yourself through it because it could have just died completely, you know? Yeah, no, fair enough. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, the cult is a lie. I only remember one part of the movie being super homoerotic where the soldiers were sexy murdering people. What point were they <laughs> sexy murdering people? I didn't remember being particularly like, oh, why, when they were murdering folk. Do you? No. I think is that just the end scene where like everyone's murdering everyone? Maybe, although there was one bit at the end, and I was like, "Is that two guys kissing, or is he eating his face?" Like I was a bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they're onto something. Could be both. <laughs> Uh, we're just going to go through another quick couple of questions from chat before we sort of move on to any sort of final points. Uh, Queer Jay's got a couple for us. How do you rate these vampires? One to five fans. I don't think there's anything wrong with the vampires. I think the vampires are well designed. I think, um, you know, their concept is really cool. In terms of the actual vampires themselves, I'm not going to give any points off for acting or character. I think these are pretty darn good vampires, like four or a five for me. Yeah. Yeah, I would say the same. Maybe like a four and a half. Or, well, actually a four, because I think I would give a five to the 30 Days of Night vampires, because I love the look of them. But as a modern concept, I I really like these vampires, like in, that, in a dystopian future way. Cool. And uh, finally, favourite alternative power being a vampire? Daywalking, transfiguration, immortality, etc. I think you obviously have said, Lucy, you're all about living forever. Yeah, but transfiguration also sounds really fucking cool. What would you transfigure into? Uh, Lawrence Shady. <laughs> <laughs> just drag queen. See, that's the thing. That's the thing, though. You could, you could have transfiguration, but you've got to have an imagination to go with it. <laughs> this is true. Oh, God. I'd just be, be a cat so I don't have to do the nine-to-five grind and just sleep all day and eat and live my best life. But then you'd have to lick your own arsehole. Oh, true. <laughs> Somebody else to do that for you. Uh, Lindsay? Um, yeah, I was going to say transfiguration as well. Although maybe day walking. Like, and I actually, I think if I was a vampire, I'd want to I'd blend in so it could be sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> You're a sneaky bitch. <laughs> uh, I hate daytime. Like, I'm a nighttime person anyway. Like, I'm very much a night owl. So that, the idea of day walking doesn't really... Uh... I can't get a Starbucks at night, though. Mm -hmm. Speak your name fucking coffee, all right? 
sorry hard fucking <laughs> shout at me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going to go and stick with the immortality for me. Like, I'm terrified of being old and decrepit, so. Yeah, I don't, like, the staying young forever part about being a vampire sounds great. It's, like, living forever. So if you like, could... I'm going to have to take the L at some point. Like maybe well, that's what to do. Is, right? What to do is right. You just stay young for like a hundred. You become a vampire, right? You stay young for a hundred years, and then when it becomes your time, just go yeah. out in the day. Just go out in the daytime. I'd want to be like Lady Gaga in um, American Horror Story Hotel. Yeah, that would be good. Okay. okay. Uh, anything else from you guys then before we move on to our next segment? One final thing I had, because we didn't really speak about it much, is when when Ali's turned and then she bites herself, so she becomes like she she's like poisoning herself. Because that's part that's a concept we haven't really talked about much. Is that if a vampire drinks from another vampire or themselves, that kind of speeds up the process of going feral and like making them really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think of that? Because I thought it was quite cool, kind of showing her dad like this is what's happening in the in the real world and the, you know there's no resources and this is what we're going to turn into and all that kind of stuff i kind of loved it like I, like her doing it as a bit of a like fuck you to her dad because like he turned her so that he could keep her forever like she's a bit of property she never wanted to be a vampire so he turned her and she completely sabotaged it. So I kind of loved it. Um, the whole thing about like the vampires feeding on themselves like made me like quite sad. Like the idea of like taking it into a real world situation where that's kind of like people like cutting bits off themselves and eating them because they're so poor and they can't afford food. And I mean, I bet we'll maybe get there at one point um, because you know, inflation is absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. So many people who live below the breadline who can't afford like decent food at all. Um, so yeah, this whole idea of like vampires have to eat themselves, like, oh, like made me really sad. I think what, if anything as well, like what this sort of past year has shown us as well, like we, when we talk about things like that, we talk about, oh, well, the food's not going to last forever. We know we're burning too much fossil fuels. What happens when the oil runs out? What happens when the food runs out? And all of these sorts of things. And historically, you've always got to go, yeah, but that's not in my lifetime. You know, that's not when this happened. Like, that, that, that's okay. But if anything, this past year or year and a half has taught us that if anything can happen and, you know, we could easily find ourselves in one of these types of situations. And you know the one and the what this has also shown us is that the one percent number one don't care which we knew like people who were clever knew already but a large swathe not saying that large swathes of the population aren't clever but a lot of people out there thought that think or still think that the one percent really cares about the everyday man the man in the street the man who has to take uh you know the subway to the work or the person who has to you know serve you in the shop so the part you know this and that um and it also just shows you how cutthroat the, the 1% can be as well, you know, and how much like they'll, they'll take care of their own. So I did like the whole sort of rhetoric that they were kind of pushing with this. And especially, like you said, there's that scene where they're sort of dragging them out into the sun and that's including Ali. You know, we see Ali in there. I would have possibly liked to see more of the transformation of her 
into Feral mm-hmm. because it took me a minute to sort of figure out that that was Ali. Like, yeah. I, you know, you would get that sort of slow pan shot that when she's like turning around and it took me a minute to just realize that that just, that wasn't just like another Feral, that was Ali. So I would have liked to seen something else in there. But aside from that, I think the rhetoric behind it is, it was, was really good. Cool. Uh, Lindsay, anything else then? No. No, is that is that everything from you, Lucy? Yeah. Okay. Right, let's move on then to our next section and we'll talk about some trivia. There was not a lot of trivia for this movie like really not a lot of trivia we talked earlier about you know how they were cutting not cutting corners but they were doing this the the effects themselves the spearig brothers uh, to save money that was the thing to save money this movie had a budget of 20 million (laughs) dollars why were they having to save money I don't know. Because what really is in this film that's co- that's so expensive? There's not like there isn't crazy effects in this film. We've got okay, we've got a couple of big names, but I can't imagine Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe and Sam Neill between them have charged twenty million dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know where that money has gone. Yeah, that's and like. Part of that, because I saw that in an interview, I got that piece of trivia, and in in that they also said that they reused some of the sets as well, so they were trying to cut back on costs quite a bit. So I don't know where the twenty mil went. I actually, I'm really surprised it was that pricey. Well, when you look at the last couple of uh, movies that we've done, Candyman came in at six million. The Invisible Man came in at seven million. So less than half the budget of this film. And in Invisible Man, you can see where that went. You know, you, they, they, the Invisible Man has amazing effects. This, I just don't, I don't understand where 20 million's gone in this. Anyways, um, the movie made in its initial run at the box office, $51.4 million. So it did okay. Um, but I think they probably were hoping for a slightly bigger return on such a big budget. You know, I think 51.4 million is a fantastic return for something that does have a six or a seven million dollar. But because there's a 20 million dollar budget, even though it's more than doubled its return on interest, they were probably looking for more. So I think ultimately they will, will not have seen this as being too big a financial success. Um, although I'd be happy with a 31 million pound profit. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> um so when this movie was here, like this, I think this next piece of trivia will set the bar for how little trivia was actually there for this movie. When this movie was released in the UK, it was given a 15 rating in the cinema, but when it came out in DVD, it was given an 18 rating. I'm not sure why this has got an 18 rating. Yeah, I don't think it deserves that. No, like, there's not that much swearing in it. There's like no sex whatsoever. I don't know, you stroked her, really... you, you stroked her face. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Can't be touching people's faces now, could we? No, but um, not, and even yeah, the gore. Like not really any violence either. The gore and the, the the moments where there is gore, when we've got like an exploding vampire, it's over and done with in a second, isn't it? Yeah, it's just blood. It's just blood. Everybody bleeds. 
So yeah, like I don't understand that. I think a 15 is more than appropriate for this film. I don't think this film has anything in it that's going to disturb a 16-year-old person. Um, I think I think an 18 is is way out there. Um, just to tie it in with the fact that we've got a character called Elvis, this movie was released in the and in America on Elvis's birthday. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Lindsay disapproves. <laughs> um, the last piece of trivia, I'm already on the last piece of trivia. That's how little trivia there was. The makers of this movie actually hosted, so talking about cutting corners, they didn't even design the, the city themselves. The maker of this movie held, held a contest for people, members of the audience, to enter and come up with images of how the world would look if nearly everyone was a vampire. Where did they spend $20 million? Like, I want to know how much Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe and Samuel specifically, those three, because they're our main three, how yeah. much were they paid for this movie? Yeah, same. Like, that's all we've been thinking in this trivia section because 20 million is ridiculous. It's all that as well. Like, remember, Lindsay, when we were covering American Psycho and they were like, all the money and the budget went on licensing the songs. Yeah. And it's like, right, okay. I can understand where your budget has gone because we all know it. it's incredibly expensive to license real music, mm. but there's none of that in here. Is there like, I don't think they're using no. any real pieces of music. It has an no. original score An original score is not that expensive for in movie terms anyway, to put together. Um, the effects, they, we know they cut corners on the effects weren't good. Um, we know that they cut corners on design because they were getting members of the public to come up with their imagery. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, did those three just pocket like $18 million between them and then everyone else got the rest? Sounds like it. I don't fucking know. Um, Went on the fancy china for the teacups and the coffee cups. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's it. Uh, Do either of you guys have any pieces of trivia? I have one other one because I I was trying to search because there is like... Thank you. But they're... This was from like a good couple of years ago, so I don't know if their opinions have changed. But um, when asked about a sequel for Daybreakers, um, Ethan Spierig, which is one of the Spierig brothers, said that if there was ever to be a sequel, he'd want to go to Nebraska to see how the non-city vampires lived. And to me, that felt a little bit like, I don't know, 30 Days of Night-esque. I know it's a different concept, but I... I don't know. What do you guys think of that? I have absolutely zero interest in that concept as a movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> that does not interest me whatsoever. Like, this movie was not good enough for me to be excited about any concept of a sequel it's going to have. Lindsay? <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I like the idea of them, if they were going to franchise it, like, going around the world or around America to see what life was like or life would be like for other vampires but yeah I kind of get what Ian means like I like this film I've seen it I would I would perhaps watch it again but yeah I don't I don't want another one <laughs> you know what, you know what? right you know what personal story time right you know what this movie is for me do you guys like see if you're like getting down and dirty with somebody right and you need to put something on the background right you need to put something or something on the telly. Either there's somebody in the next room, or like back in the day when you used to live with your parents or whatever, you were there with your partner and you were getting you were doing the dance with no pants. And you needed to put something on the TV so that 
you know, to mask any potential noises. You'd always have to put <laughs> something, you'd have to, it was always very good. You had to put something on that was like loud enough that it would cover any noises, but boring enough that you wouldn't get distracted by it whilst you were trying to shag. This is that movie. I can uh, I can see that. Like, I personally, <laughs> I can't have anything on. I get distracted too easily. But um, although sometimes it is helpful when you don't really like the person. and face the TV, please. <laughs> so I can just endure this. But Listen, this. I did that for six years with one person. <laughs> The shade of it all. That's so mean. The movie, for everyone who wants to know, was the remake of Robocop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've had a couple more questions. Um, What celebrity do you think is a vampire with them being beautiful and ageless? I was was going for Cher, but okay. Angelina Jolie. Sandra Bullock. Love me some Sandra Sarah Paulson. Paul, oh yeah, Paul Rudd. Well. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Yes. Keanu Reeves. Cult as lie says Keanu Reeves. Yes, him as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. So if that is it for trivia, then we'll move on and we'll get into our final segment, which is our ratings and our final thoughts. The piece that used to are always so excited about. Right, we'll start off with the critics' scores as always. IMDb scored this movie a 6.4 out of 10. Just for context, right? Just for context, IMDb gave this a 6.4 out of 10. Give Candyman a 6.6. Oh, what? So there you go. Metacritic scored at 57 out of 100. And therefore, it's time for our Rotten Tomatoes guessing game. The game that none of our listeners like, but our hosts do. So that's what we're going to go with. Uh, Lucy, this is your film. So you get first go at what you think the Rotten Tomatoes critics scored this movie. I have, I really have no idea. Like, it's always such a wild card with the critics because you just don't know what's going on in their fucking minds half the time. But (laughs) um, I'm going to keep it similar to that last one from Metacritic. I'm going to say like 60 60%. 60%. Okay, Lindsay, what do you think? I'm going to go 65. 65. Lindsay's going to take this one. The critics decided to go with comedy number 69%. Ooh. So so this movie is fresh, according to the critics. Critics consensus, though it arrives during an unfortunate glut of vampire movies, Daybreakers offers enough dark sci-fi thrill and enough of a unique twist on the genre to satisfy film goers. I kind of think they've got that kind of on on the nose there. I kind of think they've gotten that right for once. For once, I think the critics have got it right. Um, We'll move on to what the Rotten Tomatoes audience scored this. So, Lindsay, you get to go first for this one. What do you think the audience scored Daybreakers? I'm going to stick at 65. 65? You think they were in agreement? Okay. Uh, Lucy, what are you going for? I'm going to go a bit higher. I'm going to go 70. 70%. 70%. You you went in the wrong direction. Lindsay's going to take it again. Oh! The, ro- <laughs> yes. 
49 49 so the audience have been so harsh the last two times. the audience absolutely not with this movie as much as the critics were which is so unusual for a horror movie um so yeah i find that a little bit odd We'll get into some of our listener opinions in just a moment, but first, we've got to give our scores. So, Lucy, once again, this is your movie. You get to go first. What are you going to rate Daybreakers on a scale of 0 to 10? I was going to give this a higher rating, but just like scary stories, you're kind of convincing me out of it as we talked about it. Because I was like, I really love this movie. And now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, well, maybe not. <laughs> but no, I think overall this is still a really good movie. I think aesthetically it's great. I think it's really unique in the genre. Um, so I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, what are you going with? Right, I... <laughs> 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 I'm going to do something I've never done before and I'm going to give it a point, point 0.5 score I'm going to give it a 6.5 Have you never done a point 0.5 score? Never, I don't oh, agree with it but <laughs> You don't I, agree? I What's don't wrong? agree with it Why? Just, I think you should like know what you know what it is it should be a 6 or a 7 Get off the fence basically yeah, apart you're always given the point five. Apart from today, where you're very much on the fence. Well, it's not good enough for a seven, but it's not bad enough for a six. Like, well, that's the, there you go, and that's where the point fives come in. That's why me and so, Lucy are very reasonable and use point fives. Oh, shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wolfie says she thought for a minute you were going to give it a zero point five. <laughs> oh, I could enrage it. Okay, it's so funny. But so, no. so six point five. Six point five. Okay um i was with you a little bit lucy like i was gonna i don't i was gonna give this a good score um at the beginning i think it was there was unique stuff in it um and i think that the the concepts are really good but i think a lot of it around it and i have talked myself very much down from the score i was planning on giving it i was planning on giving this a seven and I've taught myself down from that. But I think I've taught myself down from that a lot more than Lindsay has by dropping it to a 6.5. Because my score, <laughs> I'm going to give this, because I think this is now, now, I think this is just bang average. So I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. Harsh. I know. I was really coming into this week like, yes, Ian's actually going to like a movie I chose. This is going to be great. Never. But yeah, like, I think the, I think there's good stuff. Like, a five is still a lot better than some of the other movies we've reviewed on this podcast. Um, I think there's some really good stuff here. I just think they execute too much of it poorly or not well enough and that whole thing about the budget and what they've been the corners they've been cutting really does put a sour taste in my mouth about this movie like if they had spent that 20 million on actual effects on things i could see me giving this a much much higher score because so many of those little things that were bugging me might not have bothered me as much because i thought right well they actually put the money in the movie but I want to know where they put that money because it was certainly not in the movie. So unless it's in the pockets of our three main actors, it's in the pockets of our directors. And I'm not for that either. So bang average for me in the end, five out of 10. 
sorry, Lindsay, you looked like you had something to say there. No, nothing. No, okay. Makes a change. Fucking mind. You're so mean to me. All the time. I've been so nice to you today. Like I've barely been saying anything. In the roots. Anyways, uh, <laughs> all of that gives all of our scores combined with the critic scores gives Daybreakers an average score of six out of ten. So it's kind of right slap bang in the middle of all of us there. So I think between us, we've kind of gotten it. I think we kind of got this pretty right because yeah. you know six point four, six point four from IMDb, sixty nine from the RT critics, fifty seven from Metacritic. Yeah, I think we're all around about the same area. Some of us are slightly up, and some of us are slightly down. Uh, it puts it, though, in 68th place of the now 104 movies that we have covered on this podcast. Uh, so it's not just under halfway. It put, There's nothing that uh, has the same score as it. It's the first exactly 6 out of 10 that we've ever had on the podcast. It's a behind the screams first, people. It puts it one place below Wolf Creek. And one place above Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> Our favourite film, yay! I know, we love it. <laughs> I think, oh, I don't know. Do I want to say this? <laughs> I think I would rather watch Hotel Transylvania than watch this film. <laughs> yay! <laughs> I told you it's good. I mean, it was good. Yes, it Kate Lindsay. <laughs> Look how excited you are. I would still much rather watch Scary Stories. Oh, don't talk to me about that film. That is a cursed film and we don't talk about it in this podcast anymore. You don't talk about it on this podcast. Me and Lucy, we're, we like that film, right? Lucy uh, shit now. I'm on the middle ground. I, I'm Lucy, I'm there's neutral. no middle ground. Pick, pick a side. <laughs> Okay, Team Lindsay. <laughs> what a surprise. You're nothing if not predictable, Lucy. Okay, let's get into the listener opinions. Uh, we obviously threw out the poll, as we normally do. We ask people whether they like it and vote yay, whether they dislike it and vote nay, whether they think it's just okay and they vote meh. So we got 79 votes on the poll. Uh, 62% voted yay, which is, again, 6 out of 10. So, like... Every, I think everyone's just in agreement with this, aren't they? Um, 29% voted for meh. Only 9% voted a nay for this film, which I thought was quite surprising, to be honest with you. Like, I was not disparaging the movie, but I did think there's going to be a, quite a big chunk of people that's not going to like this. Um, so I was a little bit surprised that we only got 9% uh, of a nay. But does that surprise you guys, or is that just me? No, I think... Um... Yeah, having a lot of meds like makes more sense. It still very much means that Lucy is in last place <laughs> by a long way, a long way. It's 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 like so close between me and you, Lindsay. Now, like, there's only like a point in it, and Lucy's like way. She's like ten point average behind. <laughs> As I said in the group chat, this is the only time I am totally be okay with being called a bottom. <laughs> I am fine with it. So, so you're saying you're competitive then because it's the only time you're, you're fine with coming last, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we always ask our listeners before the uh, episode as well to give us your thoughts on the movie and we read out some of the best uh, responses that we got. And I have to say, 
pleasantly surprised at how much love this film actually got. You know, when we covered The Invisible Man, for example, Lindsay, I was quite surprised that there was actually quite a love it or hate it vibe, wasn't there? Yeah, and I weird. And I was quite surprised with that. With this one, there wasn't really that. Like, most of the people kind of like this film so jack on twitter says i genuinely like it some pretty well done horror it seemed like it was trying to go into some pretty interesting social commentary that i feel like it fell short of in the end i felt like it had something to say but didn't end up saying it all that well he's pretty much just summed up what we've been talking about for the last two hours uh bridget on uh twitter also says the only vampire movie to do it right that only vampire movie to do it right well, that's a hot take that is strong fucking wo- that is strong words there uh natalie says underrated i like the storyline i like the vamps well worth a watch cast me to hell i kind of fuck with this film <laughs> <laughs> which i kind of liked uh victoria grace says fresh original reinterpretation of an old theme I agree with that. Not perfect, but really entertaining and engaging. One of my favourite Sam Neill performances. The movie should have gotten more acclaim. Cinema Roulette podcast. Honestly, it was really well done. You don't get many movies about what happens after the monsters win, which is what we kind of talked about earlier on. Now, this last one that I'm going to read out, I would normally not read out a, a someone who sent us in a review like this because I feel like it's, it's a very cheap and a bit of a cop-out. But the irony of the, this person's or this podcast's Twitter handle in comparison to their uh, review, I find. So this is from the Horror Friendly podcast. And their review is just simply, shite. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. One word says it all. <laughs> uh, no, I normally wouldn't have read that out because I think that's dead. Like, I think that's such a cop out. But they're called the Horror Friendly <laughs> Podcast. If you're listening to this, like it's hilarious. It's kind of hilarious. Iconic. Uh, I love you for it. But the, you must realize the <laughs> irony of that. Maybe it is an <laughs> maybe I I maybe it's an ironic podcast. Maybe. Um so I thought I thought that was amusing. But thank you, anyways, to everyone who uh, sent us in your reviews. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, that's it for the, the review of, of, of Daybreakers. For those of you who are stick uh, here live in the chat, stick around because we're not done yet. We'll obviously do our post show. If you're listening on the download, of course, as always, we thank you so much for listening. Um, but up next, next week, uh, we're back to Lindsay's Choice, your first movie in the live show era. What are we going to be reviewing next week? We're going to be talking about Velvet Buzzsaw. It's a Netflix original, so get watching it over the weekend, people, so you can watch our live review of it next week. Lucy, have you seen it before? Nope, I've not seen it. I've not seen it either, so this is going to be a a very interesting one. It's one that has been on my list for a while. Like I remember when it first came out, and I was like, oh, that looks interesting, and uh, I just never really got round to sort of seeing it. Wolfie says, yay, a movie I've actually seen. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you haven't seen Candyman? Oh, why haven't people seen Candyman? Um, but yeah, this is one that sort of intrigued me, but I just never really got down to watching it. So I'm kind of excited to talk about this. In our second show next week, hope, hopefully we can get a second show out next week. Like I said earlier, we're going to be having our only our second ever Behind the Screams horror quiz between Lucy and Lindsay. Lindsay currently holds the crown, and I'm sure Lucy is desperately vying to snap, snatch the crown 
uh, and get it on her head. But I'm sure Lindsay will have a few things to say about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lucy, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch, Lulu underscore Pew, again, doing a fundraiser for Pride Month for mermaids. Um, and you can find me on Twitter streaming three times a week, playing all the gay games and having weekly guests throughout the month of June. And um, yeah, go to the Twitter. It's my pinned my pinned tweet um, for a link to the fundraiser and all the details are on there as well. Awesome. Uh, Lindsay, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at hi it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Awesome. You can find my personal profiles on Twitter at Ian Forrest 12. Twitch is twitch.tv forward slash forest underscore 9191. You can find the podcast Twitter at Screams Behind. Facebook, Instagram and YouTube is at Behind the Screams podcast. As we said, up next week, we're going to be talking about Velvet Buzzsaw on Tuesday. Same time here on Tuesday, seven o'clock UK time for the pre-show. Then we'll get into the main show probably around 7.15. And if it's anything like these shows, it'll probably go for in the region of of two hours and then we will get into the little bit of post show that we do at the end but for those of you who are listening to us on the download thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate you being here and we hope you will join us next time on behind the screens <laughs>